Many people think Mongolian is like horse riding, so this is our culture. But having a Maranatha Church in Denver, we started basketball ministry to young people. Basketball is a great uh, opportunity for uh, making a good friend and, and also final goal is to share the gospel with them. Traditionally, uh, Mongolians are Buddhist. Especially Mongolians, when they are outside of Mongolia, they are very strong, you know, religious. Our vision is to uh, plant many churches as we can. Giving to a uh, uh, mission is so crucial to make it possible to uh, settle down in America and also reach out Mongolian community. I'm so grateful because I've seen many people come to Christ. That's our greatest joy. Good morning, church family. Welcome to Ebenezer Online. I certainly hope that from wherever you're sitting this morning, whether it's in your living room, at your home office, or wherever you are, that you'll crank up the sound a little bit and uh, sing along and join us as we worship today. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Oh, you. 
Jesus, the 
and be stronger and better because of it. Thank you for that amazing promise today, God. It's in Christ's name I pray. Well, good morning. I'm glad that we can gather like this and, and study God's Word online. I know it's still strange to not meet in our building, but I know that God has a plan and He's going to even use this time to grow us as a church family. You know, we're studying in the book of 1 Peter. We're in chapter 5 and we're going to continue in that study. It's a study called Exiles and we're going to talk about the value of humility. It's uh, chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. So let me ask a question. How would you define success? Um, whether it's maybe, maybe it's reaching a status or a position, maybe it's a, a degree of recognition that, that you sense just as you go through life. I know early on in ministry, um, when I was in student ministry, I would get asked periodically um, when I was going to get my own church. They thought that that, that, was the, that wasn't the end all, that student ministry was a stepping stone to something bigger. And at that particular point, God had called me to student ministry. I planned on staying in student ministry till either all my hair went gray or I went bald or was laying horizontal. Um, that's where I was going to be. Um, I had no intention at that point of doing something different. So the question, um, when are you going to get your own church, was a little bit strange. But things happen when we get dissatisfied with our circumstances. And I'm not saying I was dissatisfied in student ministry. Um, don't, don't hear that. But when we get dissatisfied in circumstances in our life, we tend to do certain things. We look for solutions and we ask the question, how can we remedy this? Well, there's a, a quote by Jean Rosenblum. And she relates this quest for success this way. She said, there is never enough success in anybody's life to make one feel completely satisfied. So, so it's almost like this never-ending quest for success or satisfaction. 
Uh, so today what we're going to talk about is a key principle in scripture related to success and it relates to commitment and we're, when we look at Peter's letter to the exiles in the early 60s we realized that 60s AD we realized that he was addressing a group of people that had been moved out of their normal circumstances and put in strange circumstances and they wanted to find a solution. See, parts of, parts of life for us move at an incredible pace. Um, and yet other parts of our life seem to move painfully slow. Uh, they, just, they, they just go at a snail's pace. And for the exiles, you remember they were probably looking for um, some, some um, assimilation into their situation. They wanted to be settled. They wanted to be part of the community. And they wanted to make a difference for Christ. And Peter reminds them of that. And so we could categorize these feelings um, with the idea of patience or maybe not even having patience. And, but instead of going to patience, what Peter addresses in his letter is something completely different. Now they're related, but they're not the same. And so when we look at this, um, this passage out of 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to see a little bit of that. Remember last week we talked about elders and leadership? And we said that, that leadership or elders were to shepherd the flock of God with humility and confidence. They were to serve willingly, knowing that God was the, the one in charge. They were to serve willingly. They should be eager to serve or not motivated by cash. And they were to serve as an example. From that, we also learned that the church itself had a responsibility in that and that they were to guard expectations and honor boundaries. They were to care for the pastoral staff. And, and I realize as I say this, it may sound self-serving because I'm asking the congregation to take care of me, but I'm asking the congregation to do what God has called us to do and at the same time take care of pastoral staff in a larger sense. And then also to be a good follower, to be a learner, to be generous both with, with finances but also with your time and your talent. And then to serve, find a place to serve that fits with your gifting. So that's the church's responsibility. And so Peter, last week, we talked about it out of verses 1 through 4, the, that he addressed leaders, he specifically elders. And he said, me as a fellow elder, this applies to me just as it applies to you. And now he's going to expand this and expand this thought process that he has. And so let's, let's go ahead and look at 1 Peter chapter 5, starting at verse 5. It says this, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, let me, let me go ahead and put it on the screen, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And so as we look at that in 1 Peter chapter 5, um, we're going to gain several different things. And we're going to talk about three different points this morning. But as we do, let's just go ahead and pray as we start. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for teaching us. And Father, all of us, whether we're in leadership or not in leadership, you've called us to bring glory to your name. And one of the ways we do that is by showing humility in our everyday circumstances. 
And so, Father, lead us this morning as we look at your word, challenge us, uh, maybe put us in some uncomfortable places this morning that we could gain a heart of wisdom and that we would follow you with a, a, um, a passion that the world around us would see because we belong to Christ. And so, Father, work in that way this morning as we study this passage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want us to see and want us to hear out of what Peter writes in, in this 5 through 7 section of 1 Peter chapter 5 is to voluntarily glean from the wisdom of elders. Look what it says. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. We'll just stop there for just a moment because it almost seems as if it goes with the verses before that talking about elders. And to some degree it does. But at the same time, he's addressing addressing the younger crowd within the congregations in Asia Minor. And so he's telling them, be subject or be under the leadership of the elders. And he uses the word and he starts with the word likewise. And we know that when it's likewise, we can look back and say, what did Peter say before that that makes sense to carry forward into this new section of Scripture? And remember, elders and leaders are subject or should be submissive to the authority of the chief shepherd. Remember, they fall under the chief shepherd, so they're following his lead. Remember, Paul wrote, be imitating me as I imitate Christ. And so he writes that, and, and I want us to, to also mark the, mark the fact that no elder... Um, no elder is not responsible, maybe this is a bad way to put it, no elder is not responsible for living out humility. And so um, when we look at this, we understand that those who are younger need to submit to those that are older. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And then in Hebrews 13, 17, um, the writer of Hebrews reminds us of a very similar thing and adds some context or adds some meat to, to this. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So there's a responsibility. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. So see what the, the writer of Hebrews says, he basically says the same thing, submit to the leaders, but as a responsibility under the leaders, don't make it difficult for them. I, I've been in churches and I've heard of churches where the congregation makes it difficult for people to lead because they want to lead. And it's as, it's as if, hey, we're going to call you as a leader and at the same time, we want to lead you. And that's not the way God set up the church and not the way the organization ought to work. If God calls to be somebody to be a leader, there ought to be followers behind that. Charles Swindoll quotes Howard Hendricks in, in a, in, as I was listening about this, and he said that the, um, the best experience is not just experience. The best experience is a guided experience. And so what Peter is writing here is he's saying there is a reason that younger ought to submit to older, that those who are young in the faith or young in age ought to look toward elders for that example. And, and he relates it, he says, guided experience is the best experience, and he relates it to a bricklayer. I had an uncle that lived in Pittsburgh that was a bricklayer, and I know that he critiqued every wall he went by. 
um, because he was meticulous in the way he did it. And I know that if I were to sit beside him and, and start laying brick beside him, my, the way I would do it would look vastly different from the way he did it because he was an expert. My job would be to follow his lead as a guided experience. So I get to do it, but I'm watching somebody who does it well. Now we as a culture or a society, um, we push the idea of independence. I know with our children, we, you know, we always look toward our kids being independent of us. And to some degree that is true and we kind of mark our success by that. And we're, what we're finding even during this coronavirus pandemic um, that, that's going on with so much new homeschooling happening is we're finding that those that are not called to be teachers are now teachers. And they're starting to value the, the teachers that are in the classroom because they, they understand the experience and the guidance that goes with that. And so we, um, we, ha we understand and we, um, we value the guided experience part of what happens in a school system. And, you know, when we talk about driving our children to independence, um, there's a piece that might be missing that, that we have to consider because we, we lead them to be independent from us, but we also need to be leading them to be dependent on God. See, that, that's, that's where sometimes the missing piece is, is we let them leave home as independent, but we've not taught them how to be dependent on the Lord. It's a missing matrix in our church, and that's why Peter writes from wisdom that a leader leads, and those that are younger follow that leader, and, and in that, they learn how to be dependent on God. See, it is possible to dismiss wisdom in pursuit of a goal. It's possible to dismiss wisdom in pursuit of a goal. Rehoboam is a great example in 1 Kings chapter 11. Um, he is faced with new leadership. This is Solomon's son. Solomon writes to him, and that'll be one of the challenges in the discussion questions, is to look for those places where Solomon tried to impart wisdom on his son. And it gets to the point where there's a, an uprising in the country, and they are not wanting to be taxed. And so Rehoboam listens to the elders and they say, go easy on the people. And then he turns to his friends and they say, make it harder on the people, make them submit. And Rehoboam chooses to make them submit, does not listen to the wise counsel of the elders and it cost him his kingdom, it cost a rebellion. And all of us are subject to the virus of pride. Every single one of us. We're susceptible to this virus that is not limited by status or position. We're susceptible to the virus in just the way we handle life. And so what Peter writes is to voluntarily glean from the wisdom of elders. Be aware of those that have already been through and are wise. The second thing I want us to gain is, or to see is to intentionally seek humility before others. Intentionally seek humility before others. Look what it says in verse 5. It says, or uh, in the second part of verse 5, it says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The word clothe is the, is the word where we see it means to gird or to, to draw up or tie up or to wear an apron. 
Um, can you imagine Peter writing this and what may have gone through his mind as he's starting to talk about being clothed in humility? You can probably take a guess of what he may have been thinking. We can go back to the Gospel of John in chapter 13 and the, the disposition of Jesus before that group of guys that he was celebrating the, the Passover meal with as he put on or girded his, his garments and grabbed the towel and washed their feet. It was that idea that Peter carries forth in this passage. So clothe yourselves, gird yourselves with humility, just as Christ did toward one another. For God opposes the proud. And it says, and um, Ephesians chapter 5, it says to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ or be subject to one another. Peter says, clothe yourselves with all of you with humility toward one another. That's everybody. That's leaders and others. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Why would God have to give grace to the humble? Because sometimes it is really hard to be around somebody. It's really hard to show humility in, in a situation where you may disagree with the person on the other side of the conversation. And so you rely on God's grace to put on or be clothed in that humility. It takes, sometimes it takes God's grace. So humility is a spiritual discipline. I don't think Peter writes this with the idea that the humility just automatically happens. It is purposeful. And so he says, clothe yourselves with that. The third thing that we need to gain this morning is to dependently live in God's timing. Dependently live in God's timing. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Now, why did Peter write it this way? Well, first of all, he says, humble yourselves. That's one thing. But under the mighty hand of God, did he need to describe God as mighty? I don't know that he needed to, but he reminds his readers that God is in charge, that he is the mighty one. He is the one who is sovereign and all-powerful. And so the question comes with this, if we're to humble ourselves under God's hand or under the mighty hand of God, do we really believe that God is sovereign? Do we really believe God's in control? And do we trust God's timing? This is, um, if we look at Micah 6, 8, it reminds us of a little bit of how we ought to walk. In verse 8, uh, Micah chapter 6, he says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That, that word walk is that, that Greek word or, or Hebrew here is halak. It's the, the idea of a lifestyle under God's leading or with God's leading. And then it says that he will exalt us at the proper time. Um, so what is God's timing? For, God, for a God that is not bound by time, it's incredible to fathom that God is aware of time but appoints time. We can go back to Exodus and see the timing of the plagues, Leviticus, where we talk about sacrifices and statutes and celebrations, Ecclesiastes 3, where there's a, a time for everything. See, acknowledging the wisdom of God's timing requires humility and patience. It requires humility and patience. Then Peter goes on. He says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 
Now, I don't, I don't know what you think of when you think of casting. You may have put yourself along a, a lake or a pond and think about casting, but it's the idea of throwing off. It's what you would do if you went fishing. And, and the only other time it's used in the New Testament is when those, those folks on Palm, on Palm Sunday had their robes and they were throwing them on the donkey um, as they're getting ready to go into the city of Jerusalem. It's casting their, their garments or their robes, and this is the same word here, to cast or to throw off. It's the idea of I don't need these and I don't want these. It, it, it almost relates to the idea of the desperation that we feel about reopening the United States and reopening businesses. We don't want to be anxious, but we're anxious. And we feel the tension between our wants and God's timing. And in that, we stress. And we allow the cares of that to take control of our lives instead of saying, God, in your timing... It will be right, and I need to trust you. This is what, the way Mark puts it in Mark 4. He said, But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruit, unfruitful. To, to take the cares and allow the cares of this world to drive our actions or to drive our thoughts. And then we get to the last part of that. It proves unfruitful. That's just, it's like saying, we, we understand this, but here's evidence of it. It's the, the witness of it. It proves unfruitful. It's not good. Philippians, Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing. And so what, what Peter writes here in verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him, because why? Because he cares for you. So why should we let stress hold on to us? Why should we let the cares of life hold us or grip us in a way that we cannot function appropriately, that we're not really considering the mighty hand of God in the situation? It takes humility. It takes patience. He cares for us. John Phillips points out in that verse that this word anxiety, casting all your anxieties, is actually a plural word, and then says, because he cares for you, that word care is in the singular, his, God's mind is directed toward you, and he understands that you matter, and because he loves you dearly. And so he is laser focused on us in relation to eternity. You see, the cares of this world can be one thing, but when we put it in relation to eternity and where we will spend eternity, it makes a difference. This word because is a key word. It's the transfer of our anxieties that we hold on to and giving it to God. And he gives us the why. And although we can hold on to those things, we have to realize that God cares for us in such a way that it's okay for us to let go of those things. He will, because God is active. And so we asked at the very beginning this morning as we started this, um, we asked at the beginning, what defines success? Because we can wrap up all our anxieties and cares in the earthly definition of success. And, but if we were to ask Peter, 
What if we stopped for just a moment and said, Peter, what do you think success is? I think Peter would answer with the idea that it is a vibrant walk or a halak with God that relies on us recognizing God's sovereignty, his might, his mighty hand, and his wisdom. He would also say that it's to exhibit the character of God as we display at a greater degree the humility of a servant leader through his grace. That's, a, that's how I think Peter would describe it. He would say, you are so close to God that you're walking hand in hand, taking on his character and loving his character and trusting him for every care that you have. See, Peter wants us to consider God's wisdom and timing. And the question, is it wise to circumvent those things for what we deem as important do we want to give up God's wisdom for the cares of this world and so the the final questions in here um, for us to consider and respond to God in such a way is um, when have we replaced God's definition of success with success by earthly values when have we taken that and when have we been dissatisfied with God's plan, his timing, or his result? See, God is faithful. God is trustworthy. And when we cast all our cares on him and we trust him in humility, we, we respond to a God that is much wiser than we are. And so I would challenge us to not get ahead of ourselves, not to second guess the wisdom and the timing of God, but to rely on him and clothe ourselves or gird ourselves with humility that we would please him and that we would be the best witness for those around us. The, the writer of Psalm 111 could have wrote, wrote something that we must consider because certainly as Peter wrote this to those exiles, they could have pushed back on him. But Peter reminds them to recognize God and recognize who God is in their life. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 111. In starting at verse one, it says, praise the Lord, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Then in verse seven, the works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. See, our God is worthy of all praise. Our God is worthy to be trusted. And he's faithful. And so let's, as the people of God, recognize him. And in humility, be clothed and address those around us as though they are the most important person in the world. And in that way, bring glory and honor to our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for um, all that you do for us. We thank you for the gift of your word. 
And Father, as we've looked at 1 Peter chapter 5, God, I pray that you would um, just continue to drive us to the foot of your throne, that we may bask in, in the idea and in the, the light of you being almighty God and loving us and, um, and securing us. And Father, we praise you and we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Since God's